As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our review of France's World Cup semi-final victory over Morocco. So the Moroccan dream is done. It's time to hang up that fez thanks to two goal-scoring monsieurs named Mouani and Hernandez. The Atlas Lions fought hard and were a worthy opponent. But just like England against the French, they couldn't seize the moment. So congrats to France who returned to the big game for the second consecutive time to face Leo Messi who's in about the 20th year of his prime. The stage is set for a blockbuster final, that you can't dispute, and Mbappe and Messi are in a dead heat as they go for the golden boot. But we say goodbye to Morocco, just look how far they've come. But hey, we'll always have Sufyan Bafal dancing on the field with his mum. <laughs> my name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's delighted to learn that Michael B. Jordan is now an owner at Bournemouth. Taylor Rockwell, did you know that? And are you a fan of Michael Bournemouth Jordan? Michael Bournemouth Jordan, indeed. I did see that, uh, courtesy of Reddit. I saw the headline. I didn't click on it. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that Creed slash uh, Killmonger ha- has made his ownership stake known. Uh, it-, it does seem to be a thing, right, with celebrities now uh, like buying minority stakes in football clubs. Uh, I'm excited for who comes next. Indeed, yeah. He's part of the group with Bill Fo- Foley, Foley, who is the owner of the Las Vegas Knights. Uh, 11 of 20 Premier League teams now have American owners, minority or majority. Yeah. So, you know, I'm ready for, uh, I, I need Stringer Bell to buy whoever the rival club would be for that one. And then we can have, or Idris Elba, I guess, would be the proper way yeah. to call him. And then they can have that, uh, that the wire rivalry right there. There we go. South, he needs to buy Southampton and we're all good. Yeah. But hey, I, I, you, you make a point there, Taylor. Wallace should have stayed out of the game, but he's got right back into it. <laughs> he got right, right back in right? And, and we Am know right? how that goes. There we go. Also here, Taylor, a man who's joining us and he's looking forward to Breakpoint in the same way as I look forward to watching Point Break. Graham Ruffin, did you like what I did there? Uh, sort of. I mean, pass marks, I guess. You're re- referencing the 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 Drive to Survive style tennis documentary that is coming on Netflix early next year. I sent you the trailer, Ryan. I, I, I don't think Taylor I, and uh, Joe watched that trailer. I think we're maybe the only ones in here that are looking forward yeah, to that. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, uh, it's a documentary on Netflix about little furry balls rather than big <laughs> blown up ones. 
Uh, one day you all, like, I, I think it'd be fun if the four of us, like, watched a tennis match together and you all explained why it's fun. Because I do think anytime you watch a sport with somebody who really cares about it and knows the intricacies of it, it, it becomes that much more enjoyable. Because, yeah, right now tennis for me is uh, mm. the, the sport that I probably watch the least. Ball goes quick. That's it. Quick, quick balls. Yeah. Power, powerful. Quick. That's it. Ball yeah. goes quick. That's all we need to know about tennis. Sometimes Got into it. the net. That's also fun. Sometimes Nick Kyrgios says someone's had 500 drinks. He's watching. <laughs> and that's about yeah. it. Watch a Nick Kyrgios yeah. match. That's a good introduction. <laughs> uh, rounding out our pack, guys, we've got a guy who's been handpicking World Cup players to join MLS next season. Joe Lowry, who should we be seeing behind that beautiful Apple paywall next year? Ryan, I just want to see Lydouni. That's all I want, right? I snuck him into the article. Chris Whittingham messaged me and said I should have included Lionel Messi in that piece, which obviously I should have. That was a huge miss on my part. But more than Messi, that's a lie. Almost as much as Messi. I would love to see Lydouni in MLS. I think he's a a solid player. I went through and watched more film of him for that article that I wrote that you're referencing. There are lots of really fun players that I would love to see hop across to this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, that should be very good. And Leo Messi, by the way, um, he's retiring this Sunday, right? Right? Am I right? No? Uh, yeah. yeah, this from Sunday, four years game. four years from yeah. now, right, when he wins uh, uh, US Open Cup, right? Got it, got it. It's uh, still got US Open Cup in the sight lines. It's, uh, I believe that was his long-term plan. Retire at Newell's old boys, but not before getting that US Open Cup. Correct, uh, correct. Uh, under the under Messi's the childhood yeah. dream, frankly. that's We all know <laughs> it. I mean, he's talked about that before, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, some housekeeping to get through first here. It's patreon.com slash Show. Thank you to everybody who's been supporting us there so far. We are still continuing to put up bonus episodes, videos, and... Um, other stuff which is wonderful (laughs) please go check it out and thank you once again if you have been supporting us there Um, but let's get to the World Cup semi-final which I'm sure listener you very much enjoyed unless you have Fubo in which case you probably didn't see it so sorry about that Uh, super fun moment for me as I'm getting ready to watch the game when I start getting messages from you all saying that Fubo isn't working and that of course leads to the ever fun panic of did I pay the bill? The bill's been paid, right? Did they disconnect the service? Did I forget to do something? Was I supposed to do something? But no, they just chose to not broadcast during this game I have a feeling that will be a problem for Fubo down the road because I'm guessing many, many people subscribed to Fubo for the World Cup were using it for their World Cup coverage and had to turn elsewhere Fubo was kind enough to direct them to the Fox website where you could watch, I believe 45 minutes and then you had to pay for it or enter your subscriber information which would have redirected you back to the fubo website so (laughs) not a great day for them uh not a great day for morocco definitely a better day for france yeah oh those poor moroccan fans who had fubo today kayla i feel very (laughs) sorry for them indeed Uh, i have to say though i chose to watch the game instead on the iplayer uh, the BBC service. Uh, if you have a VPN, you can do such a thing. Should the uh, should the fancy take you? And I have to say, Taylor, the coverage was really good. Like the halftime was really good. They had these really nicely produced. You only thought the halftime was really good because they spent ten of the fifteen minutes talking about England during that halftime. Yep. That's it. They had uh, two former England players talking with Didier Drogba about England, and then they yeah. But they the whole production value was just superb, and it made me think, yeah. BBC do this quite well and, you know, better than other broadcasters, arguably. 
I don't think you need to put arguably in there, and I'm assuming you're talking about Fox <laughs> specifically. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's a secret that people have been pretty frustrated by Fox's coverage. I think there are good aspects of Fox's coverage. I like uh, certain broadcast teams they have, uh, but but I Mr. do Q. think that they have not. Yeah, that's obviously the best part is Mr. Q, uh, all glory to Qatar. I've really enjoyed that aspect of their coverage. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a secret that, that I don't feel like it's been as informative as it could have been as sort of appealing to the broader audience while still uh, pulling in some of like the soccer diehards. And so I, I kind of wish I had done some BBC iPlayer to see what the difference is like, although I don't know how much I could have handled just pure England talk for some of these games. <laughs> oh, it's fine. You get used to it. No, you don't. Um, but you know, you know what? I don't think we've seen Mr. Q since the opening day of the tournament. I've got to assume they're saving him for the final, right, Graham? He's got to be coming back then. He's going to have right? a golden suit. And he's going to have a... A, a cane of some sort. Yeah, he's going to have a, some sort of final outfit, some sort of special final uh, costume. I'm picturing uh, what uh, they wear in Dumb and Dumber when they get rich. <laughs> yeah, Is with that top what you're hats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same sort of vibe. <laughs> Excellent stuff. I like the sound of that. All right, let's get to the soccer, shall we? France to Morocco, Neil. This is, of course, the first ever World Cup semi-final involving an African or an Arab team. And a little bit of history. Morocco was under French rule between 1912 and 1956, and a few of their players and their coach was born in France. So there's an interesting relationship between these two sides. But it was, of course, the French who go through to meet Argentina in this Sunday's World Cup final. Uh, Tio Hernandez getting the opening goal uh, early on in this one. The first time Morocco have been behind in this tournament, that was quite incredibly. And then it was uh, sealed by Colomani with his first touch of the game. Uh, Joe, I, I kind of likened in my intro this game or Morocco to England because it felt like they had opportunities to seize this game, more than one, and they just couldn't take them. Yeah, I'm not sure that I would totally agree with that premise. They did have a couple of different moments here. I think the key moments from Morocco, though, came less in the attack and much more on the defensive side. I think they let themselves down early on in this game and really couldn't claw their way back. They had some nice, fun possession sequences. There's tons of talent in this team, and maybe we'll do a beat more on Morocco later. But, I mean, there's so much quality, right? With Hakimi and Masrawi, who start as wingbacks, and Masrawi comes off at halftime. Before that shift, they move back to fullbacks as a centre-back comes off. Saiz has to come off around the 20th, 21st minute. You have those players with so much quality out wide. You have Amrabat, who's a brilliant number six. I think his profile has certainly grown, and his stock has been raised in this competition. You have Onawi, who is incredible and will be in the Champions League in a couple of years, if not sooner. And then you have Akim Ziyech, obviously out on the, the right wing. There's so much quality in this team. The trap with France, though, is that, Ryan, I think they make you feel like you're making progress or they make it seem like you're making progress by giving you the field, right? France, even from the start of this game, and I did miss the first few minutes because of reasons already discussed, but even to, you know, based off of what I know of the start of this game, they Nothing were reserved. in those first five minutes anyway, Joe. Perfect. Thanks. Yep. No goals or anything like that. That's all. That's all well and good. France came out and said to Morocco, hey, you guys can have some of this ball. We don't need to possess. We don't need to press. And that's the trap, right? Is France saying, okay, you can have possession, but we're not going to let you do a whole lot with it. In some ways, and this is a not the best comparison, but I think it is a fair one. It reminded me of, at times, Iran attacking against the U.S. in the final group stage game of, yes, okay, they have field possession. Iran, they have field position, excuse me, Iran did. And they're getting crosses into the box, but they're really not creating all that much. That, to me, kind of felt like Morocco, which in, in a roundabout way, I just want to give credit to France because I think that's exactly what they want 
you to do. That's exactly how they want you to feel. And it's just really, really hard to stop and really, really hard to break through. This was just a, another reminder of, as you kind of outlined there, Joe, what, what France do and have done for the last six years or, or so under, under Deschamps. Generally speaking, I think France have been a, a bit more expansive than they were in 2018 at this World Cup. But this was this particular match was pure Didier Deschamps ball. And Morocco, unfortunately, were, were the victims of that. And Joe, you've been making this argument all the way through this tournament, the debate about control versus dominance. I think in that second half, Morocco certainly had control of the game. I don't think that ever really became dominance in terms of creating opportunities. And even the, the openings they did have, I saw the expected goals after this game in France was roughly about two and Morocco was about one. But even in the opportunities that Morocco did create, it felt like it was they were whiffing a shot or they weren't taking the shot. There was there was an opportunity late on for, was it Hamdala, who it's a good opening, nice uh, kind of slick interchange play, passing play inside the box, and then he doesn't take the shot at the moment, and that was the the, the, the bit that was missing for Morocco. And as I say, they were they were the victims of, of, of France doing what France do. But just a, just a word before we get into kind of more tactical stuff, just a, a word on generally the story of Morocco at this World Cup. They have been incredible. And keep in mind that this this team was in disarray just a few months before the tournament. They changed managers. Uh, Ziyech was in international retirement before the change in, manage, in, in change of management. The Moroccan media uh, called uh, the, the, the replacement manager, Negraye, avocado head to mock him I'm not entirely sure what that was about does he look like an avocado anyway the mood was low before this world cup and to go from that to how they played in this tournament and what I loved about their performance tonight even though that final bit was missing even though I don't think they dominated they did control large periods of the game but as I say that the final few steps were missing but what I loved was there wasn't any sign of them just being happy to be there they played this match to win it and they might have done that had a few things gone their way. We, we saw a different side to Morocco tonight. We obviously talked about the defensive side of their game. Losing that goal five minutes in completely changes their game plan. They yeah. have to change shape. I think we'll ch- talk a little bit more about that. But they they had to be more proactive. And, and they did that relatively successfully, even if the goal never came. And obviously, the, you could then argue, well, what's the point of, the, of, of being proactive if the goal doesn't come? But I really enjoyed watching them. At this tournament, I'm sad to see them go home. And I think as in terms of a team, they have been the story of this tournament. I'm still distracted by avocado head. Um, <laughs> that's that's a confusing insult for me. Like, yeah, people indeed. love avocados. I, indeed. I mean, calling someone an avocado head in, I don't know, like Southern California is, is yeah. a compliment. Or maybe people want to think Gen Z people want to put him on toast instead of buying a, uh, paying for a mortgage. Uh, maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. But Taylor... So is the overriding feeling here that um, France are Bain putting his hand on someone's shoulder and saying, do you feel like you're in control? Yeah, I, I think that's that's the case for me because it, it did feel like though Morocco get a few chances, there's the one very late that's cleared off the line. Uh, as Graham said, I think they end up with an XG like of 0.95, so not quite one. And Higher that than my VSP, I might add. Boo, France. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but I think that last one that's cleared off the line is 0.34. So suddenly you remove that one from the equation and you see just how clear cut, few clear cut opportunities they were getting. And it's not as though this was just Morocco lumping into the box and just going route one and, and trying to out physical France. They had some really nice passing sequences, especially down their right, France's left, and really nice one twos, really clever balls in behind. But every single time they had defenders dropping into the right spots to cut out those cutbacks or just to, to contest those balls into the box. And, and, 
I think there will be some uh, a lot of ink spilled about Kylian Mbappe and how electric he was about Chouameni and how important he has been and Griezmann as well. But I think the French defensive performance shouldn't be overlooked because of just how in control they seemed, in my opinion. And that was even when it got physical. I think they were happy to get physical too and, and have a little afters after the ball was gone and a few shoves in the back once a pass was completed. And I, I think they didn't back away from those challenges. I thought it was a really impressive performance from start to finish for France. It seems to me, Taylor, that the French defence were, at this tournament, the, the defence that gave the least space to any opponent. It seemed like whenever you got in the final third, and they were happy to let you get into the final third, mm-hmm. but then once you got there, it was locked down. It, was man to, it seemed almost man-to-man once you get into the final third for them, and it was very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it felt like a a, uh, a spring being like pushed down to then like launch essentially because yeah, I think they get everybody back, they get everybody in a good attacking position, and they really do just uh, like like put numbers behind the ball, like not necessarily playing a block, obviously, but but getting people in the right spaces so that even if you do beat somebody one v one or do pass around somebody in a one v two or in a wall pass, that they have cover there to win that ball back, and then uh, usually the opposition has put numbers forward and they can hit you on the break as a result and. We saw that time and time again in this game. We've seen it many times in this tournament. I'm guessing we will see it against Argentina in the final. Yeah, I thought um, Konate, if we're looking at the French defence, him coming in to that team. It's just funny how this tournament has worked out for France with the injuries. Every player who seems to come into that team improves them. And so Upa Meccano coming out, I think he was ill rather than injured for this match. Him not being in that defence, I thought, was a blow for Morocco, frankly, the way he's played at, at, at this tournament. And then Kanate, I thought, was <laughs> was just incredible um, at, at, at this World Cup. But as I say, like, France <laughs> losing Benzema before the start of the tournament. Okay, Giroud is going to come in, and that that chemistry has worked really well for them. Oh, we've lost Pogba and Kante. Okay, we have to bring in Chouameni, and he has been incredible. And then that forced them to do something new with Antoine Griezmann as well. And obviously, he's been one of the players of the tournament. So I think... Um, in a way, France have been quite fortunate, but I do give Deschamps credit for the way he's retooled this team very quickly. And even we saw in the second half, Joe, I think you might have mentioned the lack of depth that, that France have at this tournament, which is something we haven't really said about them in recent tournaments. But because of those injuries, they don't have as uh, the recognisable names on the bench. But even still, Kolo Moane comes yep. off the bench and, and, and Marcus <laughs> Turam comes off the bench. I thought that was he was he was good when he came off uh, on the on the pitch. So. Even in that respect, France are delivering. I think they very much deserve to be in the final. Yeah, this was not a banner game for things Joe said on the last episode turning out to be smart things. It was not a very good (laughs) game for my predictions. But you know what? We come back stronger. The final is a few days away. I got time to rebuild. You do indeed. And let's rebuild after this short break. Uh, When we come back, let's dig in a little bit more into this French team and also give a little more praise to Morocco. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, Taylor... 
I'd like to shine a little more light on this Morocco team. I mean, they did, besides the goal, they started very well in this game and they looked really dangerous in the second half as well, particularly down that right-hand channel. And that El Yamik overhead kick, which had it not just brushed the post and, and maybe the goalkeeper's glove, that that had Pushkas Award written all over it, it seemed. That would have been one for the ages. So we, we say goodbye to them, but they go with their heads held high and it feels like they've really got something to build on here. Yeah, I, I would assume that they do. I mean, I don't know uh, if Avocado Head w- will stick around. I'm assuming he will. I'm assuming he'll be in demand based on this tournament. But they, they obviously have the talent, as Joe's talked about, with their, their two fullbacks slash wingbacks. Uh, they've got Amrabat, who can apparently just block the middle and uh, patrol everywhere and even... Uh, cover 50 yards to put in a crunching tackle on Kylian Mbappe that maybe could have been a, a foul, but uh, I'm glad yeah. it wasn't because I think if you watch the two of them running, Mbappe almost looks like he's at like 80% and Amrabat has leaned all the way back running as fast as he can to try to make up for it. Mbappe gets him back later on with a meg. But I thought... I feel like Taylor, Mbappe pulled out of that one a little bit as well, didn't he? Yeah, I think he saw it. I feel like yeah. he felt it coming and knew how aggressive <laughs> that tackle was going to be and was happy to hop out. He did that a couple times. Uh, I, my prediction was that he would be fouled, I think, three maybe four times in this game I don't believe he was fouled at all uh, or at least given uh, any fouls and part of that is because he is just so ridiculously quick that even when they tried to foul him they could not make that happen uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm veering into talking about Kylian Mbappe in France I will stick with Morocco for a second to say I thought Amrabat once again was excellent and strangely even though I was really disappointed in the way the goal came about because it did feel like that might be the game right there I was worried for a moment that it was Amrabat who was at fault and I don't think it was it's actually El Yamik, I believe who tries to make a play tries to make that intervention uh, when the ball is being played into Griezmann and overcommits is the wrong side can't make that play now Griezmann's able to turn and I think from there it's really dominoes fall it's Morocco just trying to collapse and make sure they have people to defend the most obvious threat, which leaves Teo Hernandez, I guess the least obvious threat, at the back post open for that sort of weird overhead kick volley sort of thing that he does, but it's really well taken. He gets Why it, doesn't he gets Bono it. just punch it? That's my question. Why doesn't he just rush it? He can, he's, he's setting himself for the shot. Why doesn't he just rush and punch the ball as it's bouncing? Is that, would that Did, not uh, He didn't have enough do? elevation. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Graham, I blame you for this, to be clear. <laughs> You're raising a fair point, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I mean, my, my guess would just be that he's he's reacting to the initial opportunity, then the kind of scuffed opportunity that gets blocked, and then he's trying to scramble over there. Maybe he had time to make that play, but I think he's just trying to make sure that he gets his like bearings covered. He knows where he is in relation to the goal, and by then I think it's too late. Uh, but I think it's a credit to Teo Hernandez for getting that shot down yeah. and p- yeah. still putting it in a dangerous position. Um, so I thought that was a little bit unfortunate from Rocco. And I think, uh, Graham, I know you have some th- thoughts on this too. I think to some extent they were let down by their the way they approached the start of this game, I think being at a back five was not the best decision. And I think starting Roman Saiz, who I know is very important, he is their captain, but you could see it really quickly that he could not run, that I, it felt like he had been taped so that like whatever muscle was tight was was not causing him any problems. But as a result, there's that one for Giroud where the ball just bounces over Saiz and he cannot make a play. He cannot catch up to it. And you can tell he is uncomfortable. And it seemed to me like they were in that back three to allow him to be the anchor, to win stuff in the air, to organize. And then you could have two other center backs who could step out and make plays. But as we see in that goal, that doesn't really work. And once they take Saiz out and they go back to a back four, they look much better. They look much more comfortable. They, they seem to understand their spacing. And I think in some ways, they get those tactics wrong. They recover from it. But by then, it's pretty much too late. Yeah. 
I, I can understand why they went to a back five. And we spoke about England potentially, even if you don't have the size injury factor, we spoke about England potentially doing something similar against France. And it's just essentially about numbers when you have Dembele and Giroud and, and Mbappe and Griezmann, all those guys as attackers, you, you know, you don't want to have too many overloads in, in your defensive third. So you put another player in there. But what that neglected was just how important that midfield had been to Morocco in a defensive sense and also just in transition as well. And not having that extra man in midfield really hurt their ability to close France down and stop them playing through the middle. That's been a key aspect of Morocco. They're not a high-pressing team, but they swarm you when they when you get into certain territories of the pitch. And Morocco weren't able to do that. And it, that, that formation, that shape, was only used for about 20 minutes. But even in those 20 minutes, that was enough to see that this was a mistake. And France obviously opened the scoring after five minutes. And and that the, the lack of having the extra man in midfield is where the opening goal comes from because France just have too much space and time in the middle to feel, feed the ball into Griezmann, who then turns, obviously, and it's an excellent turn. And yet El Yamik dives in there and that doesn't help things. But that also there was also an onus on Morocco because they didn't have that extra man. They all thought defensively, we need to dive in, we need to go, we need to go in quickly to France, and that's as I say, that's where the first goal comes from. Whereas up until that match, France, eh, Morocco, excuse me, defensively had kind of stayed quite deep actually, and they hadn't played that high line. So it was a bit of a mess from Morocco for the first twenty minutes, and a sh- and it's a shame. I'd like to do a football manager mm-hmm. uh, quit. Would you like to save no restart that yeah. game and just change the formation yep. to see how Morocco would have coped if they'd started in that four three three? Yeah, well, and Graham, I, I agree, Graham. Sorry, just, sorry, Joe. Real quick, just for me, just because, like, that's I agree entirely that if 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 it hadn't been that back five, I really do think things could have been different because. Morocco are so good at putting in those tackles that are like 80% ball and then 20% the guy. And and they just like, that's how they let you know. That's how they physically dominate. They don't outright foul. I mean, unless they have to, and they're, they're smart in the way they use that physicality. And, and it felt like they had ratcheted up the intensity in those opening minutes to try to kind of like take the game to France and make France uncomfortable. And I think in some ways they like, overdid the dial and were just a little bit out of control, a little bit out of sorts. And I think France have the ability to punish you when, when those margins are so fine, but there's still an opening. I'm not sure I disagree with anything that you guys have said. I, I do want to point out, though, how dangerous France are. And Graham, I love that you mentioned restarting this match football manager style and changing the shape because that's exactly what I was just thinking about, not through football manager, but I was thinking about what, what this game could have looked like if Morocco come out in the back four. I think it was a mistake from, from Rigregi, excuse me, Avocado head. I should just be using that. I'm using it as a compliment <laughs> because it's endearing to me and I don't understand where the roast is in there. So Sexy anyway, avocado head. Sexy avocado There it head, is. Joe. That's the good. one. Then That's the good. one. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the the Saeed start. I think it was very clear as we've already discussed that he, he probably should not have been in this team. But I actually, I am sympathetic to the back five, not just to compensate for his lack of mobility, Saeed, but really to deal with France. One thing that makes France so dangerous is how much quality they have out wide. Right Throughout this tournament, they've overloaded the left with Teo Hernandez ever since Lucas Hernandez went down with that knee injury. They've overloaded the left with Teo and with Antoine Griezmann and with Mbappe and usually with Adrian Rabiot, who wasn't starting in this match. But they overload the left and have plenty of quality wide on that side. And then they, they underload the right side and have Usman Dembele as the only wide option. If you're Morocco in this game, you're terrified of that. France's real threat comes through those players with Griezmann sort of floating and combining as he will. You're terrified You're terrified of the wide action from France. So you go to the back five thinking, okay, well now we have Akimi and Mazraoui closer to the sidelines. We have help from the wide midfielders. And all of a sudden, okay, we're not so concerned about those areas. 
it just so happens that while that was, I think, actually quite a logical game plan, it also happens that France have so much quality in central spaces as well. Like, this is this is a can't-win situation. In the goal sequence, the first goal, going back through, it's Antoine Griezmann who slips into the gap between El Yamik and Masrawi on Morocco's left side, France's right side. Griezmann says, okay, you guys have cover out wide. I'm going to exploit the gaps that are now available centrally or in the half spaces. You, you just can't win, right? You yeah. cannot win if you're France. And I, I think... It is. It's an. It's nice to think about. You know, Morocco. The game would have been completely changed if they went to the back four. But the reality is, they were still going to be under a lot of pressure in this game. They were still going to struggle. They were just going to struggle in different ways. And so, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not as willing to say that was the 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 change that sort of hurt Morocco and killed them off in this game. I think the only thing for me, I hear you, Joe. The only thing for me is just that I wonder if in that back three, there's more license or they are given more license to step out and try to patrol and try to make plays. And if they're in that back four, I cannot imagine El Yamik is trying to like hustle out and intercept that pass. If anything, I think the midfield is shielding there. And so to me, I think there was more of that, like we've got numbers back. We can afford to gamble a little bit. We can try to make those plays. And I don't think they would have been as loose, loose in a very technical way uh, if they had maybe been in that back four. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I think it is, it is difficult, and I, I take your point, Joe. Even if Morocco start in that back four, it's going to be challenging against this French team. And I think Griezmann is probably the player that that makes that that challenging. I I don't really know what else there is to say about Antoine Griezmann at, at, at this tournament because we've spoken about him after pretty much every France match. But I think he deserves recognition again. Yeah. And if you look at the build up play to the France goal, the first goal, the first France goal, I should say. He's out in the right, stretching the Moroccan defence. Then he's central. Then he drops deep to receive the pass. And then he has that ability to turn in tight spaces. So I think he is the embodiment of the issue that you're talking about, Joe, where if Morocco are in that back four, then Griezmann is the player, because he drifts all over the place, he's kind of like Fede Valverde in terms of what the role he plays for Real Madrid, where Valverde provides numbers in attack, but also in midfield. So if Morocco try and make it narrow, Griezmann potentially doubles up with Dembele on that right side and makes it difficult for them in the wide areas. But in this match, he's, he's central and making it difficult for, the, for them in that area of the pitch as well. So I think he's kind of the embodiment of the conundrum that Morocco faced in this match. Graham, I'm completely with you on that. Does anybody want to guess? This just shook me to my core. How old Antoine Griezmann is? Anybody? Like 31 or something? Yeah, he's 31. He's 31. I, that blows my mind. In my head, he was like still mid to late 20s. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Griezmann, Griezmann has been phenomenal in this tournament. He has been the best attacking midfielder, not named Lionel Messi, in this entire competition. And that's not even like a fair comparison because Messi will always be in another stratosphere in the attack. But what Griezmann has done so well, and Graham, you got to this, is track back and defend Griezmann is the reason why Mbappe works so well in this team. He's the reason why Mbappe doesn't have to do so much of the of the defensive stuff. He's the reason why, you know, you blink and all of a sudden Mbappe's in behind Morocco's back line, which didn't happen a ton in this game, but it happened often enough, right? It happened at least once, which is enough for Mbappe. Griezmann is the is the the glue that really helps this team function. I could not believe how often he was popping up inside their own box, France's own box, to deal with a cross or to deal with a loose ball, then drive the ball forward in possession. He was just everywhere all the time and has been throughout this entire tournament. He has been brilliant and reminded us all how good Antoine Griezmann can be, which, to be honest, I think I'd forgotten and maybe others had as well, as he's not had a lot of success at club level in recent history. Atletico Madrid a few months ago were refusing to start games with him because they didn't want to pay 40 million euros to sign him permanently. Like, that is quite a turnaround in personal fortunes for him. 
I need him to go somewhere else. I love Atleti, uh, or I enjoy what they do and how they do it, but I'm ready for him to go somewhere else and have some fun. Uh, and because I think he's earned it with this tournament, it reminds me, strangely, of Pogba in 2018 with France. Uh, I think we've talked about this previously, but with that France team, more of a 4-2-3-1. Blaise Matuidi is your right back, and when Matuidi would get forward, which was early and often, it was Pogba who would sit in and do the defensive job on that right-hand side. He would still get forward on occasion, but was doing much more defensively doing much more, I guess, like sacrificing his own glory to make sure that spaces were covered and uh, options were limited when teams would try to counter. And I look at what Antoine Griezmann is doing with this French team, and, and it's very similar to me, not necessarily in terms of sitting back and playing right back, but in terms of probably not getting as much glory as a, a past iteration of Antoine Griezmann would like. I think Olivier Giroud has gotten plenty, Kylian Mbappe certainly plenty himself, even Chouameni to some extent. And I think Griezmann is doing sort of unheralded work but still getting credit for it at the same time but maybe not the credit he deserves if that makes sense because it's little moments like popping up in that in that little half space or in the channel to then turn and go and then create something and create uncertainty and he won't get credit for the goal he won't even get credit for an assist or something like that but I think he has done a lot of if not thankless, then just sort of workmanlike, but very skilled workmanlike uh, uh, labor to make things happen and to kind of keep France going. And and I am shocked that he has had this big of an impact. I've always known he was very good. I didn't know he was this versatile of a player. Yeah, the journalist Philippe Claire has used the term that he sacrificed himself in this tournament, which I think is a very good way of putting it. Um, do we think he's, Taylor, do we think he's got the player of the tournament, the golden ball, um, wrapped up here. It does seem like he's got a good case for it. Who, Griezmann? I mean, so, so, yeah, yeah. I mean... There's another little Argentinian guy. Is this in a football manager save where Messi doesn't exist? Or <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I think if Argentina win, Messi's got that golden ball locked up. But what if it, what if Messi gets a golden boot? He's not going to get both, is he? It might happen. What, 1986, I think, or 1982 was the last time it happened? We, we talked about this a little bit. So you never know. He could get both. We don't know. Yeah. And, and I, I feel mean, like if he do doesn't, it might also be killing Mbappe who gets, a, who gets a shout in there. Yeah, I mean, FIFA and UEFA and all those organizations, they're not exactly imaginative with who they give these awards to. I mean, I think Donnarumma might have won the Euros one last year because he was on the winning team and played like what saved a couple penalties in the shootout so yeah i think messi or mbappe's getting this one all right fair enough uh anything else to say about this france team before we uh, head to a break uh, maybe a bit on tio Nandes, who had a yeah. pretty poor game against england but maybe has redeemed himself a little bit graham yeah so I, I kind of referenced the sliding door moments that have happened for france at this world cup regarding injuries and, and i think tio hernandez coming in for his brother lucas hernandez in the first match is, is another one of them um because he's just been so important to the way france have, have played at this tournament he offers so much on the overlap and that allows mbappe to, to play inside without france kind of losing any of their um, width, I guess. And I personally think, I know today was pure Deschamps ball and this is maybe the wrong time to make this argument, but I think as neutrals, we should be fairly thankful that Teo, not Lucas, has been France's left back at this tournament because I don't think they have that extra attacking dimension if it's Lucas that, that starts on the left side of that defence. And if you look at the opening goal in this game, I certainly don't think Lucas Hernandez is up in the box for, to finish that scramble as, as, as Teo does. So, He's just another, I guess the flip side is if a team can get in behind Teo Hernandez, then that could be a weakness for France. I'm interested to, to see what Argentina do in that respect, because they've certainly got players that can get in behind him. But for an, from an attacking point of view, he's just another player for opposition defences to think about when they're already trying to defend against Mbappe, Giroud, Dembele and Griezmann. It's just a little bit ridiculous. 
Graham, I am sort of low-key fascinated by what the dynamic in the Hernandez household is going to be if France win the World Cup. Like, if you're Teo, <laughs> can you be celebratory? Can you talk about that goal you scored in the semifinal? Is there an awareness that you're only starting because your brother tore his ACL? Is the brother going to be happy for you? I don't know these things, but I do wonder how much there will be just some uh, some side-eye from Luca when Teo yeah. comes home celebrating if France think- uh, end up winning. I think Lucas is going to be like that meme of the of the guy angry and crying and then the happy face over the top of it. That's going to be <laughs> Lucas Hernandez. I'm, I'm picturing Christmas dinner and Lucas gets up to carve the turkey and gets shoved out of the way. By yeah. Tia. No, I, exactly. I'll carve the turkey. Don't shove it's him, Tao. He only has one knee. Don't do that. That's mean. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, let's uh, take a little look ahead to the final and other things back shortly. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Um, Taylor, Didi Deschamps is mm-hmm. becoming one of the one of very few managers to uh, manage multiple World Cup finals. I believe only uh, two others have done it, and they both won both finals. So a good omen for him. Yeah, and, and I think uh, he is going with the "if it ain't broke, don't fix it" model in, in this tournament. I think he's had to make a few adjustments with some of the injuries we've talked about, but for the most part, I think he's kept it consistent. He changes up the starting eleven uh, in in this game, but not wholly. It's not a different system or anything like that. And then you've got to love that he does little things, like he brings in Taram, but he puts Taram on the left. He puts Mbappe up top, and I think that's maybe just to protect him from some of those tackles, but also just give them that presence in the middle that will keep. Um, Morocco nervous and then to bring on Kola Mouani and literally scores with his first touch. Uh, one touch, one goal, and had been on the pitch for less than one minute. Uh, that's a bit of an impact sub. I think you got to say Deschamps got that right. So he deserves credit, and yet the thing that I will give him the most credit for is being a great uh, way of indicating just how loud the atmosphere was in this game because at least twice he was trying to talk to a player, and they were like right next to him, and they could not hear him. One time he just gave up and walked away. Uh, but I enjoyed that like it really did show show how loud that stadium was and I think it's Konate like maybe at the end of the first half you can see him like putting his fingers in his ears and it's the 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 drunk bar trick I learned in my 20s that you cover up one ear uh, when there's too much noise and you can sort of hear better out of the other for some reason they were all trying to do that at various points because it was so loud that atmosphere was so intense that first half was one of the most engaging electric halves I think we've had in in this world cup and that was with with France scoring inside the first five minutes, it felt like, oh, this could be three or four nil. I think you all texted like, oh, this could be trouble. And I was worried I was behind and it was already two or three nil. So luckily it wasn't that. But I think the atmosphere was great. I think Morocco made it so fun. And really, as patronizing as it might sound, 
it was it was fun to watch that second half with that feeling of like they've got talent. This guy's good. Unahi can just create out of nowhere. Uh, Ziyech has, hasn't looked like the Ziyech we've seen this season at Chelsea. He looked like the player that got us all hyped when he was at Ajax. And they were just so fun to watch. And France themselves played really smart and then made it fun and found ways through and had electrifying moments. And it was really everything you want in a game, uh, even if the sort of score early on made the drama just ratcheted down a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm disappointed that we won't get Argentina, Morocco for the atmosphere that that game would have have brought. So this World Cup's been weird. It's felt like the European nations haven't really had much of a support. The Dutch game against Argentina, it felt like there was about 200 Dutch fans in that stadium, which, you know, for the Dutch is completely alien for them. You know, normally they have one of the biggest supports at major tournaments. So you've kind of had a few countries carrying the the atmosphere in Qatar, Argentina being one of them, I would say Brazil being another one, although I've read a lot of stuff about the natives in Qatar being very pro-Brazil, so I don't know how many actual Brazilians were, were in, are in Qatar for that tournament. And then the other team that has brought the atmosphere has been Morocco. And so every match Argentina, Brazil and Morocco have played has been kind of lopsided in terms of the, of the atmosphere. And we haven't really had that 50-50 battle at this tournament. And, and I don't think we're going to get it because Croatia, Morocco and Argentina, France, it's going to be lopsided atmosphere. So I kind of wanted Argentina, Morocco in the final purely for that reason. Yeah, and I've, I've got a friend who's gone to 15 games at this tournament and has made the observation... Is your friend Gianni Infantino? Yes, <laughs> multiple games in the same day, Gianni Today style. I feel like um, Ryan's friend. very good uh but but they made the observation that the the atmosphere in stadiums is either absolutely electric or completely flat and dead like there's no in between it seems so it's it's been a very interesting tournament for that but uh taylor you're right to point out the, the raucousness of this game uh like the whistling there was so much whistling i thought i was watching netherlands argentina again it was like you you couldn't even hear the referee in this. no you really couldn't and 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 that atmosphere like you let like when crowds like when you get the way when a player like skies a shot I love those moments where the crowd is sort of all unified in making the joke or they all know the moment it's the same thing as when a team has like a few quick passes to play out of pressure and then a big switch and the crowd just sort of like gives you that the whole crowd gives you that golf clap of like that was really technically well done Morocco had a few of those when when it's like winning the ball off of Mbappe but then there's French numbers like in and around their defensive third and Morocco would pass out of it and then there'd be this big switch there was an appreciation for the way they were playing from that crowd that was also very clearly trying to pick them up and keep them going and when you have that it really helps sort of uh continue the flow of the game and continue that energy and and pull you in a little bit and i found myself very uh pulled in by this game yeah Mm. did anyone else note the round of applause in the final minute as well from all the moroccan fans when obviously they realized they were out they were Mm -hmm. done and so i don't know that got me a little bit as yeah. well, like like that appreciation for a team that has completely exceeded expectations and given their, their fans, you know, one hell of a ride. Yeah, definitely. Joe, are you excited to see France in the final? I am. I think it's going to make for a more compelling game than Morocco being in the final would. I am sad that their run is over Morocco. And I think it is, it is still slightly mind-boggling to me that we've played this whole World Cup thing a bunch of times, and it is always the exact same teams that are in the final. Not, I mean, not year over year, but Adam Bell said this tweet, tweet for scuffed, excuse me, saying since 1970, 28 teams have played in a men's World Cup final. 26 of those have been Germany, Argentina, France, Brazil, Italy, and the Netherlands. So it does. This does feel in some ways like a story we've we've seen before, but at the same time, credit to France. I I talked about 
yesterday, that was yesterday, I think, about how France didn't have a ton of depth. And that is true. I, I still stand by that idea relative to, the, to, to their normal selves. And that's because they've dealt with so many injuries. They come into this game, and I was thinking about this throughout this episode, with maybe six starters out. So it's it's the different Hernandez brother. So it's Teo instead of Luca. And we can argue about, you know, which one's better suited for this team. I think Teo might be better. But either way, Deschamps has been handicapped there a little bit. They're without a starter in the central uh, in the center of defense. Jules Conde wasn't the starter at right back coming into this competition. It was Benjamin Pavard. Their midfield is completely different than maybe the classic first choice France midfield. Then you talk about the number nine spot. You could conceivably think that this team is missing six starting players, plus maybe their most influential sub in Christopher Nkunku. And they're still probably the favorite heading into the World Cup final. That is mind-boggling to me that France have this much ability. I think they are probably the better team than Argentina. Now Messi is still the best player that's going to be on that field, and that does sway things differently. But man, credit to France. Less so for even what they've done in this tournament, although that does deserve credit. But more so, what I'm trying to say is they've developed elite players and have done it so consistently and, and pretty much better than anybody else on the planet. This this is kind of a half-baked idea based entirely on what Joe just said. I wonder if there's an argument that losing so many of those options makes things easier in some way. That if you're Deschamps, if you have all those people you just mentioned, Joe, think like Olivier Giroud probably doesn't make this team if Karim Benzema is there because they have a player who can do a lot of what he can do. Uh, like So may- maybe he does, but I still feel like you just have so many options that for Deschamps, you could you could see how you could easily become confused or like, uh, I'm going to start this yeah. guy instead of this guy and how much you could chop and change and not quite know your best situation. and Yeah. And, keep sort of trying to adjust to find something that works versus being forced into a position of this is who I have, this is where I can play them, and almost having that bench that is solid but not world-class. Like, I, I feel like like Marcus Duram is a very good player, but I think he knows his role. He knows he's not going to be a starter. If that is in Kunku, maybe he is just feeling like, I should be starting this game. I should be in there. Paul Pogba, not going to be sitting on the bench for Fofana and Chuomene. Yeah. So I just, I could see how having all those players there in some ways would have been uh, like a, a negative for them, or at least a, a, a thing that Deschamps would have had to navigate a bit more than he did. So it, it, it's weird uh, in how some ways it, it's maybe a positive and certainly in other ways it's a negative. Not having those players, Taylor, simplifies things, right? Yeah. I think I think that's what you're getting at. I'm guessing if you asked... Yes, in a very Deschamps, convoluted way, I'm simplifying. Yeah, Thank you, no, Joe. But, <laughs> but I think it's a great point. I, I really like that idea. I think that's a fascinating point. I think Deschamps, if you asked him, would say, of course, I want the full squad, right? And I do think he genuinely would believe that, just as any coach would say, I want as much talent at my disposal as possible. I think he'd be kind of crazy not to. But at the same time, and we even talked about something like this way back before the tournament started. Graham, I remember you, you said something about this at the live show we did. You know, there is there are reasons to think that either the balance of this team works better or things are just simpler, Taylor, to your point, for Didier Deschamps. He doesn't have to worry about the lineup. It is sold. It is set from... Right now until Sunday, pending health, I suppose, for a couple of different players, he has to worry about getting those players functioning as well as possible together instead of worrying about that and also which 11 players he's going to start on the field. I think he has somehow inherited like a simpler task even than maybe 2018. Um, we're going to preview the World Cup final later this week on the feed, of course, but I'd like to ask you guys, Graham, are we excited about this matchup, France versus Argentina? Is this uh, is this the, the princes that were promised? 
I'm certainly excited about it. And this was the final when we did our BR uh, live show bracket. I, I picked this one out. I was voted down by you guys who said Brazil. Therefore, would, you didn't pick it out. Go on. <laughs> check the tape. Check the tape. It's definitely <laughs> have Argentina, France in my final. Graham, you had Netherlands, Brazil, which is odd because they're on the same side of the bracket. I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> is is Graham yeah. a fraud? What? I, I don't, know. I don't yeah. know what's happening here. De- definitely a fraud, but not for that reason. But uh, yeah, I-, I think it's certainly an exciting match. I mean, Messi versus Mbappe. I-, I hate to be kind of reductive about it, but nonetheless, those are the these those are the two players that have dominated this World Cup in, in terms of their individual performances. It's either going to be the Mbappe World Cup or it's going to be the Messi World Cup, and that in itself is is an exciting thing. And I think back to the. 2018 World Cup and look I don't know how relevant this is because Argentina have a different manager different setup different approach everything but nonetheless France Argentina at the last World Cup was arguably the best game of that whole tournament France won it 4-3 in the round of 16 so if we get another match like that I will be very pleased and that would be the best ever World Cup final if it was another 4-3 I don't think we should set our expectations that high but nonetheless I do think it will be an entertaining and interesting match. Yeah, a, a seven-goal thriller would be amazing. Taylor, are you looking forward to the gritty 0-0 that will go to penalties? <laughs> uh, I am, I, because it really is. It's two teams that I think are, are providing blockbuster entertainment, and both of them have reasons to feel like they're the favorite. Both of them have reasons to be concerned about their opponent. And I like that we have a, a really fascinating matchup with two massive names, but two very good uh, like sets of teams behind them, and and, and two, two coaches that seem to have a pretty good idea of how to get the best out of their squads and squads that that hasn't always been the case for in tournaments past. So I think it sets the stage for a really great one. I hope it ends up living up to that building and not being a nil-nil, though... Uh, I think like the 2006 World Cup is the one that people say like was a fascinating nil-nil in regulation. So maybe it could be that here. I would prefer some goals, though. Well, that game was fascinating because Zidane headbutted someone. There is but, that. Yes, there is that as That well. seems to be the thing people remember about that game. Did, did Zidane do the penalty in that game where he hit the crossbar? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, madness. What Crossed a mad the line, man. though, didn't it? it yeah, it, it did. Yeah, 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 incredible. What a, what a guy. What he a was guy. on one that day. <laughs> he's uh, He's been, by the way, in the Brazilian press today, he's been linked with the Brazil yeah. Zidane. Sure, sure. They do seem kind of determined to make a name appointment. So the one that is always linked and kind of is an open secret is Guardiola wants that job one day. I don't think he's going to take it this time. But that does kind of feel like it's in the pipeline that they would get a Zidane or... or Who's the other one that's been linked? Ancelotti, he was linked as well with it. I guess I want to see. Fun. I want to see Ancelotti on Richarlison's back. So I, I want it to be Ancelotti. I want to see what the eyebrows <laughs> are going to turn into. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. That would be great. Why would Guardiola go to Brazil and not Spain? Though he's great. spoken about it a number a number of times. Genuinely, like there's quotes about it. He's he's kind of got a. Uh, fascination i mean you say why wouldn't he go to spain he's very proud catalan uh that might be a barrier for him but yeah he's spoken a couple times about going to be brazil manager at some point in his career well we know he's very um yeah he's, he's got a lot of principles and ethics that does a uh, guitar um <laughs> yeah guitar ambassador, <laughs> right, Pep ambassador Pep Guardiola. yeah yeah fair enough graham fair enough all right, let's close this one up here taylor rockwell thank you very much for your contributions and for all that you do for all of humanity <laughs> thank you. I mean, that's big billing. Uh, thank you for that last uh, subtle dig at Pep Guardiola. I very much enjoyed that, Ryan. <laughs> I try my best, Taylor. That's what I'm here for. Joe Lowry, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. And Graham Rutherford, a pleasure as always, my boy. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Listener, we'll be with you very shortly on the feed, <laughs> not least to preview the World Cup final this weekend. But for now, bye! bye. 
Slash it.